we made this. Drinking paint, that might be a good way to wrap up a week. Well, drinking paint is a lot more preferable to watching Tomorrowland, isn't it? That was a very good segue, well Thank done. you, thank you. So yeah, we're going to have to talk about it, aren't we? I am I, so sorry that I picked this. I thought... I, I was, it was full of promise. I mean, it was, yeah. I'd, I'd heard mixed reviews about it. In general, people are, you know, the proper film press had said that it was bad mm. but most sort of Disney fans had said that there was a lot to go on here so yeah. that was the main reason I picked it. I mean, the thing is uh, we're breaking the main cardinal rule of doing a review podcast in fact you don't actually say how you feel at the very beginning of it. I don't care Chris. Uh, otherwise people are just going to like turn off like yeah they think it's shit but this is just a strange film. It's shit in reasons I can't think of many other films where it's shit. Yeah. And it's all to do with the script and everything like that and the way it's been edited together. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like the Million Dollar Duck in that it's shit in its own very unique way. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, <laughs> Although you would disagree with I, 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 I do disagree with that, yes. <laughs> Million Dollar Duck is a masterpiece. Right, listeners, if you've not watched Million Dollar Duck, you've got to find seek it out from somewhere because I need more people on my side than Million Dollar Duck is shite. I come to realise now that every single decade I've got a film that is so shit but I defend it. <laughs> so so this is like my 1970s version of yeah. Batman and Robin or All right. <laughs> or 1970s version of Wicker Man. I quite I haven't seen Batman and Robin for years but I think it's so silly it's good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm... I I think of all the 90s well 80s as well Batman films um Batman and Robin is for one is the only one that successfully does what it wanted to. All right, okay. Which, like, literally, while it's being directed, Joel Schumacher said, he kept directing it by saying, remember, this is a toy commercial. Yeah. And it was. Exactly, yeah. I mean, have you watched the Timber and Batmans recently? They're fucking silly. Yeah, There's they a are. giant rubber duck in it. It's not dark whatsoever. It can't make its mind up if it's dark or silly, can no, it? Yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. I think... Um, the toy element of Batman was so weird because obviously we were kids in the 90s mm. and um, you'd have these films coming out that were like 15s, in some cases 80s. Yeah, so like Robocop as well. Robocop, yeah, and they're still marketed for children yeah. and it was so weird. Well, a time when, and it was literally the 80s and 90s, these are the only time when that's really ever happened. Yeah. Well, what they did is late one, later on in the service, I mean, first of all, like Robocop got its own animated kids show. Yeah. After the first one, which yeah. is rated 18. But like by the Robocop 3, they made it really shit, but it's like because it was tagged towards kids. Yeah. But I mean, not... it's a bit like Gremlins as well, because yeah. that, that nerfed itself in the second film, didn't it? It was a lot more kid friendly. But then you don't really remember much Gremlins merch, surprisingly. I came across a Gizmo toy once. I bought it for my sister one Christmas about 10 years ago now. Yeah. But Gremlins is one of those weird things where the, the all the merchandise has come later. It has, yeah. I think. Gremlins 2 helped readjust it as just these anarchic 
animals was the first one. You know, those gremlins, not only did they do very mean stuff, but they died in really horrific ways as well. Yeah. Like the blender. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell, that blender. Uh, yeah, so I don't even know where we were now. Speak, speaking of blenders, the... No. This can get in a blender. <laughs> yeah. I think we mentioned bins beforehand. Um, yeah, uh... Tomorrowland then. I must admit, this is only the second time while I've been doing this podcast I've actually seen the film before. So I've I've seen you've, this. You've already seen it? I, I have actually already seen it before. Oh, you kept that quiet. I did, yes. So did you see it at the cinema? No, I watched it as soon as it became available on Sky uh, Premiere. So this was about three years ago I've seen it. Right, okay. And my opinion of the time was actually a huge disappointment. Again, I'd heard all the reviews... And then I watched it and I was very underwhelmed by it. And I must admit, the second time has amplified for reasons why I was so disappointed by it. So, yeah, I um, I watched the first half about a week ago for review. And then um, we didn't end up reviewing uh, meeting to record last week, did we? So I had a bit of extra time. So I no. thought I'll leave it on the back burner. And then um, Kirsty's not been very well this week, so we're like, right, let's sit down together and we'll watch the whole film again. And to be honest, I quite enjoy- when I watched just the first half of the film, quite enjoyed it. Um, so for the second time sitting down, I was quite looking forward to it um, until we got into the second half of the film, mm. which, bloody Nora, what a, what a difference in the two halves this film has. This is one of the main issues of my film. It's just so oddly structured. Yeah. In that, I sometimes get quite annoyed by films that fuck around with a chrono- with a chronological order. Yeah, unnecessarily. I think this one was too straight. Uh, it needed a bit of fucking around. Yeah, we're watching um, The Walking Dead at the moment, season seven. Uh, well, no, we're, we're on season eight at the minute. Yeah, um, and that has the same issue where they are showing a lot of scenes out of order but for no reason. Mm. And it's getting really on my tits at this moment because they're doing it so often. Like every other, every episode has an element of backtracking story-wise, but there's no relevance for why we're seeing it in that order. Because, you know, like they're not keeping anything for dramatic tension. They're not showing us something surprising. They just the surprise happens in the current in yeah. the present time, and then they go back and show something else. So, is it like remember that series breaking the magician's code, where they show you the trick, then afterwards <laughs> to show you how they did it? Is it a bit like that? It's it's a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. It, the the twist comes at the wrong yeah segment. Here's the just... twist. Now here's how we did the twist. Yeah, uh, and I don't want to know. No, like, it's a bit... it would. <laughs> yeah, and obviously I don't want to. Anyone out there that's watching The Walking Dead, I don't want to go into many specifics, but the yeah. zombies. We've we've been enjoying it though, in mm. general. Like The Walking Dead, everyone said got really boring towards the end, but we've been enjoying it. Is it still going on? Um, yeah, I think they're on season nine on telly. I think because I stopped watching it series two because it was just absolutely boring for me. And when I watched it, I think I was like twenty four years old. I'm thirty one now. We, it's been going on for a long time. Yeah, were you watching as it was on telly, so week, week by week? Um, no, I saved them all and then watched them after the right. fact. Because we've, we've been saying whilst we've been watching that it is a very slow-moving show. Um, I mean, 
because zombies yeah. move slowly. But um, the pacing of it is slow, and I imagine if you were watching it week by week, it would get really dull. So we've only watched it on Amazon, and we only started about a year ago. So we've really like powered through it, and I think that's helped with the pacing. Okay. But if I was, I I can totally understand it. People who were watching it at the time finding it very slow paced. Like there's um season eight in general, the whole story arc is taking place over a few days. Like um season eight does the kind of buffy th- like it has each season has an arc. Yep. And season eight ends where the last episode of say a Buffy would normally be where they're fighting the big bad. Mm. And then instead of having just a single episode of fighting the big bad the whole of season nine is doing is that just like one action sequence, but staggered out. Yeah, and and stretched out over days, so it's it's different in a good way. But uh, yeah, I, that sounds okay. Actually, it's quite good. Like it works. You, you think that you're going to get a really succinct payoff to people being this, that, and the other, mm. but um, in the end, it gets drawn out over. It doesn't go to plan and things get drawn out. It's, it's pretty good. Okay. I, I still... I've enjoyed yeah. every season of The Walking Dead. See, to me, I think everything should be structured like Buffy. <laughs> oh, service, characterization, everything should be like Buffy. It's why I don't watch TV. I watch Buffy. It peaks. Yeah. 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 I mean, the Twin Peaks, too, obviously. I mean, we've been having a big rant about the HD remaster of Buffy today, haven't we? Yeah, we have. It's just terrible. I'm going to keep hold of those DVDs. From, keep hold of them a dear life, you know? Yeah. Anyone that's um, a big Buffy fan, if you've not heard much about the HD remastering that's currently on Amazon, um, I would highly recommend going to YouTube and watching The Passion of the Nerd does a really good uh, takedown of the HD remaster because it's awful. Mm. And that's unfortunately what me and Kirsty are watching now because one of her friends has borrowed our DVDs. So we thought we'd give the HD remaster a watch just for the lols. And oh my lord, it's awful. Mm. Bob, my DVD set if you want. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> if, it, if it saves for pain. Anyway, yeah, Tomorrowland. <laughs> okay. Um, so, shall we start? I'm yeah. really hesitant to. So, we'll say my th- what I want to say before we actually get into the meat of the plot mm. was, I think the reason I quite I was getting on with the first half is it does a, a a lot of sort of mystery box style storytelling in that we're we're never really shown what the film's about and you're always asking questions for the first half but then the questions are not succinctly answered in the second half and no I'm I'm more of a traditionalist. I need to know what the film's about within 10 minutes. <laughs> I thought it I'm... was giving enough mystery for me to be interested without getting bogged. It wasn't a lost style thing where there were too many questions. No, I'm, I'm as a failed screenwriter, <laughs> to me, you need to be saying what the plot's about. Maybe as uh, close to page 10 as possible, and this... Yeah didn't do that my my biggest pet peeve is how the film does actually begin which is the trope that does my head in which is sort of like so you're gonna you're wondering how we got to this place well (laughs) i'll scratch well i'll tell you (laughs) Uh, but before even that we get um the 
Disney logo at the f- beginning of the film where we normally pan over a Disney castle. Instead, it showed a futuristic city with like rockets and shit. Which was nice. I, yeah. I, I quite liked it. Yeah. Skew- playing with your expectations, Chris. Yeah, because that first 10 seconds thought, oh, this should be good. Yeah. Yeah, it did, didn't it? And then from 11 seconds in. <laughs> <sighs> So yeah, we get we start with uh, George Clooney so, talking straight to camera. Yeah, so we? this makes it sound like I'm going to give it like a one for a gem. I'm not actually, but we'll get to that. No, uh, yeah, well, yeah. I've I've got a number written down, and I think you'll be surprised to be honest. We'll see. As will the listeners, so they should definitely yeah. listen till the end of the episode. Also, just to note, because this is a consistent thing, I've not actually got a notebook with me this week. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> because for the first time since I've started this podcast, the Bowman, I've got another podcast, cinemawatchview.com, etc. Uh, so <laughs> in about 60 episodes, this is the first time I've not handwritten any notes, because I remember from viewing this last time that writing it, would be, writing it all down as it happened would be impossible. You would get wanker's cramp. So, so George Clooney and his vlog... I was purposely having to steer as um, light with my notes as I possibly could um, for that specific reason. I didn't want any cramp in my hands. But, mm. um, uh, yeah. It... So I probably won't even be able to make much sense of mine because I've kept it so mm. brief. But, yeah, George Clooney. Yeah, should just start reading my notes verbatim. Yeah, go on then. A story about the future. It can be scary. Minds us of everything that shit in world. But a kid wants to be upbeat about it all. Yeah, that's pretty pretty, pretty accurate. Much it, yeah, but we don't see the kid yet, so no, we only see um, George Clooney. Yeah, uh, the the um, the note I put was, "I'm Frank. Future is scary." Yeah, so pretty much the same as what you more or less. Um, yeah, and he's arguing with this kid off camera, um, and it, yeah, it's been spoken directly to us, the audience, and he's going on about how shit the world is, and that there's terrorism and global famine and the polar ice caps melting, and I, my, I was just like, yeah, this is the best way to start a Disney film yeah, for like, children. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> Remind me what's going on. Thanks, mate. The other thing I noticed about this scene is, I'm sure it's been done in Iron Man, but George Clooney, is it just me, in, especially in this bit, but was he trying to be Tony Stark? Yes. Yeah, in, in his delivery. I mean, that could possibly have been the direction note he was given. Yeah. I would believe. Be Tony Stark. Yeah, and speaking of uh, Marvel, this film was intended to be the first film in a in a sort of franchise. Um, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think... That is one of its downfalls by the end, is that it's doing the usual thing where the franchise is being set up before the first film's been made. Yeah. So they're purposely leaving a lot of shit out that they should have in. It's a film to set up another film. And yeah. I've always been of the opinion that a film should be able to stand up in its own right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, because it's not a TV service at the end of the day. So I feel like it's falling in the same trap as the uh, the recent month. Mummy remake. Didn't even bother seeing that because I knew it wouldn't do anything. That whole yeah. dark universe thing, I just knew it wouldn't get past that first film. Yeah, I've, I haven't seen it because of the, everyone saying how terrible it is, but basic, I, I remember people saying that the main issue was that they were just shoehorning so many other characters in that were not necessary for this plot 
just so that they could then turn up in later films. So I suppose mm. even like a bit like um, Justice League yeah. did, did the same sort of thing. So you just get an impression everyone's watching that scene from, I think it's Thor of Dark World, where Thor's walking down the corridor and Loki keeps turning to like Captain America and all that lot. And everyone's thinking, what if we do that to build a universe? Yeah, exactly. Um, and yet again, that has not worked. Nope, not at all. But yeah. So anyway, let's go to 1964. Yeah, so... With the... Kid George Clooney. Yeah, so he's going to the 1964 World's Fair in New York. Yep. Um, which is a really significant time for Disney himself. Um, have you done any research into the World's Fair? Is his brain in a jar yet? No, not yet. He was still alive at this point. Okay. Only for a couple more years. But um, the 1964 World's Fair... Multiple corporations approached Disney asking him to build exhibits for them at the World's Fair. And Disney saw this as an amazing opportunity to basically build new rides for Disneyland that he didn't have to pay for. (laughs) Which is exactly what he did. Fantastic. So um, in this sequence, we actually get to see uh, one of them. It's a small world. Oh, yes. Um, The boat ride. Um, So that was actually built for... A co- I can't remember which the Navy. Yeah, I can't remember which corporation it was off the top of my head. Um, but that was built um, and funded by another company, and uh, you know, showcased in New York. And Disney was always planning that then, once the fair was finished, he could then take it back to Disneyland for a, a new ride for nothing. Yeah, there was also. Um, Ford Cars had an exhibit where you sat in a Ford car and it drove itself around a track Mm. um, and showed various different show scenes. There was like dinosaurs and things like that. And Disney, again, nicked all the dinosaur animatronics and took them back to Disneyland with him. (laughs) He also had um, the world's first audio animatronic um, person, which was a model of Abraham Lincoln. And what was so impressive, even for like, the first of its kind, as well as speaking and moving, Abraham Lincoln was able to actually rise out of his chair and oh, stand yes, up. Oh, yes, I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, so it's a very famous little uh, video of that. But again, this was funded by another co- uh, American corporation. And again, then Disney literally took it out from the World's Fair, slapped it into Disneyland. Like the uh... Surely these companies have got him to sign a contract saying, by the way, this is ours. Oh, I imagine... They probably had sponsorship once it moved to Disneyland or something, so right. they'll probably have been able to keep their logo on top of it for another Two ten years. years or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, uh, very shrewd of Disney. But um, yeah, it was really interesting as a theme park fan for them to choose the World's Fair mm. as the starting point, and obviously Tomorrowland, named after the land in Disneyland, so it was supposed to be sort of like a film to start a Disney ride universe, theme park universe in film. Not oh, that it did. Oh dear Lord. Is that just Pirates of the Caribbean anyway? Well, did you know, there's the um, Haunted Mansion. Oh yeah. Which unfortunately is a live action film, Chris. I know it is. But I've seen it and I'm not going to bring it in until I have to. <laughs> Look forward to that. <laughs> and also, there was one um, in the early noughties of the Country Bears, because there's a there's a show at Disney which is animatronic bears singing country music. Oh, I think I've seen it parodied on The Simpsons yeah, at some point. Yeah, but they um, there is an actual uh, film of that, which was 
Right, okay. Which no one remembers. I'm not sure if I, if you can technically class it as live action because all the bears are in animatronic suits. I'd say that was still live action, yeah. I'm just thinking I'm regretting doing this podcast now. <laughs> what, just now? Now is the point where you're regretting it. I mean, this is no million dollar duck, is it? <laughs> no. Tomorrowland, then. Yep. So, he goes to Hugh Laurie, sat there. Yep. Uh, and shows off his jetpack. Oh, um, other theme park reference. There was another ride that I've just remembered. Sorry to disrupt. Fair enough. But um, the there was a ride called the Carousel of Project of Progress. Sorry, the Carousel of Progress, um, which was sponsored by General Electric, and it was a theatre that spins round. Yeah. Um, and so you get to see various scenes of the American home throughout history and how electricity had improved people's lives. Mm. And it had a very catchy song written by the Sherman Brothers, which was A Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow, which is the song that plays as George Clooney jumps off the bus. I mean, it can be that progressive. It's going around in a circle. It's just going round and round and round again. <laughs> they let you out before it continues the loop. Okay. <laughs> but again, that now is in Disney World. Because he bloody loves hoarded those rides, doesn't he? He bloody does. Anyway, yeah, George Clooney, kid, kid Clooney. Sorry, just drinking while I'm a monster. Um, so we're also introduced to Athena, who's just like a sort of weird bug-eyed-looking girl stood in the background. We sort of assume at first it's Hugh Love's daughter or something. Yeah, but that's not true. She looks like an eleven-year-old Audrey Hepburn. Yes, more or less. Um, yeah. So they're um. Does the jetpack work? No. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Kid Clooney is trying to win this inventing competition, um, but Hugh Laurie's having none of it because his jetpack doesn't work. Mm. Um, kicks him to the curb, but Athena sees something in young Clooney. A bit of tossy. Uh, yeah, which is what we assume is the case. Yeah. As uh, I've typed in, totty. <laughs> Look, three wise, three wise. And in all caps. And in all caps as well, just to emphasise for Totty. Yeah. So, we then head outside and see um, Kid Clooney getting really upset, sat despondent on a the wall round a fountain, and Athena comes and sits with him and gives him a pin which has a T on it. Have you got one of those, Tim? No, I haven't. But, of course, after seeing this film, the first thing I did was uh, check eBay to see if there was such a thing. And you can actually buy a official Tomorrowland T-pin. You should buy one, but when anyone asks what it stands for, just go, Tim. Yeah, I might do that. Yeah. Tomorrowland. <laughs> that should be my new Twitter handle. Uh, yeah. What if it's been taken? Damn, my phone's not here. I don't care. I'm having it. Yeah. <laughs> so follow Tim on Twitter at Tomorrowland. That's good enough to start a new YouTube channel just to use that hash- uh, that handle. Yeah. Might, uh, I might do it. Fantastic. I don't know what my content will be yet. Just me getting excited about my holiday. Building Lego. Steamboat Willie. Only 80 quid. Go on. I'll help you. Look, Chris, I've got to save up to go to Disney now. I've, yeah. got, I've got to pay it off by Christmas. Yeah, I've got to buy a house. <laughs> yeah, so, but your house can be bought whenever. Yeah, true. I might uh, get a really expensive gambling habit. Go on, then. Okay, then. Fine. <laughs> I Ten d- grand on black. I, I dare you. <laughs> So Athena hands Kid Clooney the badge, and then she gets on a nice boat ride, which I'm sure is another reference. Go to. It's a small world after all. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> or it turns out there's another world as well, because uh, he runs around some rides, and quite dangerously, it must be said, I'm surprised none of the stuff stopped him. Yeah, he just jumps on a boat when he's not allowed. I've made a really inconsistent gag here, because I said, well, they don't care if they die, because remember, nobody can actually die at Disneyland, but this is World's Fair, so I don't think that gag really works. <laughs> also, I've got a book that says otherwise. <laughs> hey, I, have you, so you know all about this myth from... Which myth's that? That no one has ever died at Disneyland. Well, I've got um, a couple of books by this author called David Koenig, and he... Basically, it's behind the scenes from both parks. Yeah. And a whole chapter of each book is dedicated to just death after death after death after death. And it is harrowing to read. So the myth is that they make sure they're off site before they're declared dead. De- yeah. So they can say that no one's ever died at Disneyland. That's bollocks. People have died. Yes, they have, quite clearly. <laughs> like, one got crushed to death between, like... Uh, revolving doors of a ride for fuck's sake if if anything like that is true it's more actually the opposite which is when injuries take place often they don't want that they don't want ambulances to be seen on property they don't want the show to be stopped they don't want blood on goofy's suit so what has happened in the past is people have died because Disney have not taken them off site. Okay. So there's been issues where, you know, they've been taken to, you know, first aid or even in some cases left where they fell because they don't want to get them off to, they don't want the ambulance to come and get them. Yeah. And that has caused deaths that would not have happened if they'd been treated in the right way. Okay. So yeah. um, Have fun on holiday, Tim. Myth debunked. Well, it, will I even get into the uh, bloody country now that Trump's decided everyone's social media is up for grabs? Have you seen that? Remember that. That's tomorrow. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what if What if Donald Trump is our uh, one listener <laughs> and Ugh. hears this and like... <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Sorry, daddy. Anyway, the badge takes him into a secret underground lair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very, very importantly, he his badge is uh, scanned from the top of the Eiffel Tower in It's a Small World, the, yeah. little, the little fake Eiffel Tower. And that becomes relevant later in the plot. It does. I didn't pick that up because I, I there is no plot. <laughs> I hadn't picked that up until just now. So the uh, badge takes him to like a weird TARDIS-style transport bus thingy. Yep. And after some weird warping effects, lo and behold, he's uh well, he splats down and is in Tomorrowland, basically. Have you ever played the video game Bioshock? No, I've not, no. Right. Because this whole sequence really reminded me of that series. Um because all the games are set in these fictional cities in weird places. So they're either in the sky, in the clouds, or under the sea, that sort of thing. But there's always a weird craft in a lighthouse, which is the place where you get transported to those places. Mm. And this whole sequence really reminded me of Bioshock. Even the whole the laser sort of coming out of the Eiffel Tower looked like a lighthouse. Then you saw this one vehicle sort of in the middle of a big lake and yeah. there's nothing there's you there's no surroundings everything's dark and it's just it really reminded me of bioshock and 
the Bioshock theme kind of runs throughout. So, like I say, he falls and splats below, and there's all sorts of like weird spaceship sort of things building architecture around him. Yeah. And, well, because he's fallen as well, his jetpack, which is dragged along with him as well, is all smashed up. Yeah. That's okay. All the robot arms fix it all pulled together. Yeah, these robots come out of nowhere and just yeah. fix it for him. It's like complete shit on his like hard work, just like, yeah, yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. Run along, dickhead. And he sees Hugh Laurie and Athena going past in like a Jetsons car, like flying <laughs> by. Yeah. Um, so he follows them. Flies um, along. Yeah. Um, he falls off one of the sides and then he's he has to use his newly fixed jetpack to save himself yep and then he he basically he lands in front of Hugh Laurie once they're all done and he's like so proud to say yeah yeah I fixed the jetpack now and it's now working it's like well you didn't fix it you cheater yeah I thought that yeah Yeah. he's he thinks that he's a genius because a robot fixed it for him yeah Um, not even your robot but yeah, essentially we've landed in a very 1960s view of what a utopian futuristic city would be like. Yep. So there's people flying past with rocket packs. You've got um, floating trains that are off the ground. You've got hover prams. And it's very not... It's, it's technology that's not set in today's view of what the future would be. Because, mm. for instance, there's like when he gets on some of the public transport later in the film there's people reading like a big holographic newspaper yeah but like if it had, that's a very 60s view of it whereas you know today holographic kindle yeah it would be a tablet of some kind but so it's very it's it's retro futurism right yeah very yeah. like what disney's tomorrowland ended up being in yeah. the magic kingdom because they didn't change it out anywhere near as often as they thought they would so it was always behind in terms of what the future would look like. Yeah, all you needed is a sp- suburban household on the moon with people walking about in like this helmets. W- with an actual picket fence on yeah. the moon. With, yeah, with a picket fence, yeah, to get a whole vision sorted yeah. out. But sadly not here. Yeah. And then uh, we cut back to um, George Clooney in real, uh, real time, who's then saying that everything went to shit. Um, and then he has more arguing with the mysterious female voice off camera who then steps in and tells everyone she's an optimist. Yep. Um, And then we get her backstory. We do. So this is Casey. Yep. We get a quick shot of her in 2003 as a very young child with her parents watching the stars. Um, So we're setting up basically that she likes space. Yeah, pretty much. Which her whole backstory is setting up that she likes space but she never really goes to space. No. Like she, it's all her very specific genre of science she's into is space, but Tomorrowland is not in space, it's in another dimension. Well, and there's no real space travel as such. I think they start I think the whole point of her looking at space is the optimism of being able to travel into space and yeah. You, like you can do literally anything if you put your mind to it. I think that's the point. And, yeah, so we quickly cut to her. But, you know, like, there's a way that you can do it where we could have seen, especially when they're setting up her character Mm. in in sort of flashback, you could do it as a montage where there's multiple elements of science or technology that she's got an interest in. Mm. But it's literally space, 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 space. She'll be like, biology, chemistry, physics, all the GCSE subjects. Yeah, but you literally only ever see her thinking about space. Yeah. And then her dad works for space. Yes. (laughs) He's a NASA man. And then she's at space 
Or, well, NASA. Yeah. So we see um, her basically sneaking onto NASA's prom- uh, premises to... Um, uh, she, she gets a drone, and which she uses to hack into their system to yeah. sort of bugger it all up a bit. Because I think there's like one of NASA's missions are ending, and as a result, her dad's going to be made a bit unemployed. So. Yeah. And and more importantly, it looks like NASA are not going to sp- go into space anymore. No. So she's really pissed off at that because she likes space, Chris. Yeah. And NASA's going to get into the coffee shop business instead. <laughs> into the t-shirt selling business. That's yeah. what they've actually done. But um, Maybe we can get into the podcast business. I wonder if like Squarespace will give them 10% off if you use the code SPACE. I wonder if they've ever podcasted... Well, I mean, they, they've broadcast from the space station. They should have their own podcast. What are they doing up there anyway? You'd have to have a video podcast, so I mean, why would you go all the way up there and not have it on video? Pixar didn't happen. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, so next day, yeah, that's when we find out her dad's an inventor, um, and she fixes his doohickey for him. So yeah. obviously she's very intelligent as yeah, well. Yeah, changes one switch for another. Then there's some talk about wolves. Yeah, and then he we go to school um, where all the teachers again are doing a bit of a Clooney and saying terrorism, global warming, dystopia, and uh, she asks the question, "Can we fix it?" Um, which we never get an answer for, <laughs> uh, which I'm... is a perfect analogy for this entire film. Yeah, <laughs> well, she asks the teacher, "Can I fix it?" He should have left like, "I know, I'm on like twenty-one grand a year." I'll, yeah. You know. To, the, to teach idiots, why should I know? Yeah, but the bell rings and that's the end of class, so yeah. she never gets an answer. Has there ever been a classroom scene where it doesn't end for bell ringing? No. <laughs> <laughs> and the teacher just carrying on talking as yeah. everybody runs away. I mean, this will be on your final, so make sure you read chapter <laughs> yes. 47. Remember, tonight's homework is chapters 5 through 10. In American school, so all, they, all they do seems to be reading out of books. Yeah. All they do is talk about the plot. Yeah. Not that there's any plot here. <laughs> Not that we can talk. <laughs> yeah, so then we're back at the launch site because it had all been fixed the night before and then Casey gets caught and sent to prison. <laughs> For 25 years. <laughs> she goes down. No, no, she's just arrested and quickly yeah. let out. Um, oh, and what we hadn't mentioned was when she returned home the last time, a mysterious girl that was clearly Athena mm. comes and puts a badge in her pocket. Yes. Um, and uses some doohickey to um, extract her DNA from a strand of hair in her helmet. So basically... This, we have a stalker. We have a stalker that's given her a pin that is um, genetically matched to her, and only her. Right. And then um, when she picks it up, when she's getting out of prison and all of her effects are handed back, she's teleported to a field of wheat. So this pin is laced with LSD. <laughs> yeah. So every time she touches the pin, she sees um, Tomorrowland and from from a distance, mm. and she's getting confused. Um, now, the, this next couple of bits are quite liked. But on the other hand, I felt a bit too telegraphed in that. I, both times I watched this, I could tell what's, what was about to happen. Yeah. So the idea is she's walking around Smallland, but she hasn't like transported out of actual reality. Yeah. So the first time she walks into a wall. Yeah. So it's just purely visual, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I don't know why, but I could tell that was going to happen before it did. All right. Okay. And then the next bit, um, I mean, we're skipping a bit ahead, but I'll go back again. Uh, later on, when she's. Retrieves a pin and is walking around the house. 
I, I went, she's going to fall down the stairs, isn't she? Yeah, and she did, yeah. yeah. But um, it was a good way of slowly revealing Tomorrowland, I thought, that mm. we can only see it from a distance. And I was feeling as intrigued as Casey's character, I thought, at this at this point. We're only we're about half an hour into the film. Yes, we at are. At most. So, at this point, I was quite enjoying it. There's enough... As I said before, we started. There's enough questions that are being posed for me to to pique my interest. So, I mean, obviously this is in hindsight. I've seen it twice now. I feel like all of Case's backstory, which we're still very much in the middle of, this, this is all good stuff. Yeah. I feel like the first 25 minutes all with George Clooney should have been interspersed with the film. Okay. I, I, I feel like he, he certainly, he certainly yeah. shouldn't have been first to tell his backstory. He's very much a secondary character to her in the main scheme of things, yeah. really. Yeah, I mean, I think the main problem as well is that there should be intrigue where she's like picking up his pin and she can see this future. It's like... You, you oh, should so be, have that before yeah, we get... You should be going... Uh, she sh- we as the audience should be going, oh, what's this said? I mean, obviously it's Tomorrowland. Yeah. But, but because George Clooney's already been there, it's like, oh yeah, it's a place he's just been in. That's true. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. thought of that. And and I suppose the only reason they'll have shown it in that order was because that's the way the opening dialogue was written, was that George Clooney speaks first. Yeah. And yeah, if, if you took that sort of little sequence out, then you could have done it the right way around, I guess. I'm not sure if I just tried to front load it with George Clooney to give the impression he was in the film a lot longer than why he actually was. Yeah, keep the mums interested. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, but um, yeah, Dad's giving her a lift home from prison, uh, from jail, and he's obviously very mad. Hmm. Um, and he touches the pin, and now happens. So it's as I said, it's genetically um, tailored to her, so she she's the only one that can see it. And when she touches the pin in the car, she's literally like floating above the field. Like she's in a vehicle moving, yeah. so nice visual. Yeah, it looked yeah. pretty cool. She gets home, and yeah, as you said, she falls down the stairs in the middle of the night while she's holding the pin. So she comes up with the plan of she rides out into an open field, um, so that she's got more space to try it out. Mm. And here we go, Tomorrowland. What well, she's walking around a very smooth field. Uh, yeah, in reality, she, I, I thought she should at least trip over a pothole. Yeah, so I had a big issue with this scene. Which is obviously where it's just her a visual that she can see. Yeah, she's walking around the field as you say, and she gets into a bus essentially, yeah, a subway car. And while she's in the subway car, she's moving with it. So I thought about this. You're on about how is she able to go between different levels and different depths? Yeah, I think for stairs established. I think the reason why we did put the stairs bit in because she tumbles down sideways. Yeah. I think they establish that in real life, everything moves sideways, whereas it's a three-dimensional field in Smallland. Mm. But they don't actually explain that. But no. I, th- I think it was that, that, their sort of way of establishing It's less that there's a verticality, but more that like she seems to be, at this point, being propelled by the vehicle that she's in. Yeah. In the hologram. Yeah. So I don't know. Unless unless she stays still and the whole world is revolving round her. That's my other theory as because, well. Because yeah. because essentially she doesn't hit her head on anything, even though she's travelling the dis- the whole length of the city. She doesn't smash into any vehicles or fences or anything. Yeah, she's a video game character. 
Like, yeah, it, it, basically. Obviously, well, it, it, everyone knows, you know, uh, like for a 3D, no, not 3D, like a third person sort of game, like the world moves around the character, not vice yeah. versa. So. Yeah, that's probably right. Uh, yeah, and then, um, so she's, we get another shot of, as you say, everything that we've already seen. So we see jetpackers, we see... Yeah people walking around with all of these fancy bits of kit but it's it's just replaying what George Clooney was yeah, doing yeah and this is where it starts where I started to get a bit of a bad feeling about the film yeah one little fun thing about this sequence um you do get to see the building from Space Mountain uh from Disneyland is in the back of one of the shots which I did spot nice um so yeah there's a few the the architecture does have a feel of Tomorrowland at Disney to it. Yeah. Also, another fact, they have sky trains like this, just like in Dusseldorf. It's not as magical, though. <laughs> it's just a mode of transport, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is the other thing I didn't know about this sequence. I couldn't tell if she was actually there. Right. And I think my question's answered later on in that sort of desolate land. But there's moments where she seems to be able to interact with others in Tomorrowland. But then the way she moves around people suggests that they can't see her. We find out later on, and it's not a massive spoiler to say now, but basically what she's seeing is an advert for Tomorrowland. Right. So it's it's basically a 3D VR commercial mm. for the tourism board of Tomorrowland, I guess. <laughs> so for that reason, I suppose the rules can change on a whim. I didn't. The, the rules weren't set well, and it kept the goalpost kept changing, and I didn't like it. I think we should try and do this film, but with other YouTube adverts, right? So I'm not sure what sort of thing you get, but because I like, I do quite a bit of website building. I keep getting a guy saying, "Hi, I like to use Wix. Now, if you've got another website that's great, scroll right ahead. But let me tell you about how great Wix is. Wix. <laughs> now imagine that as a film." Yeah, no, I don't. I don't really want to. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, um, Athena. No, Casey goes home um, and her, gets her little brother to Google the pin. I like three o'clock in the morning. Let him <laughs> yeah. sleep for fuck's sake. They find that there's one available in a store in Texas called Blast from the Past. Mm. So they travel all the way from Florida to Texas. It's a long fucking way by car. She drives. In fact, how does she get there? Do we ever find it's out? It's a bus. Oh, it's a yeah, bus. Yeah, they show a bus, but that bus must have taken a good three or four days. I was going to say, that's that's a half a week's travel to Texas. Yeah, I mean, obviously we forget living in England, but, you know, if we travel from London to Jolo Groats, I think we wouldn't even get out of Florida, would yeah. we? Yeah, so... So I think we get Athena appearing again at Casey's house. Yeah. This time talks to her little brother, Nathan is his name. Yeah. Um, tends to be a Cub Scout. Selling cookies. Bit weird. Yeah. And then uh, Casey, yeah, she's at the store, Blast from the Past, which is like a a Disney store, but for sci-fi nerds instead. It's Forbidden Planet. Have you ever been yeah, to Forbidden Planet? Yeah, well, once. Yeah, it's a fusty, musty version of Forbidden Planet. Well, it, if... A couple less sweaty nerds in there, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's um, this couple that run it, and um, I just put nerds, because they're... What a film executive assumes 
nerds look like. Yes. In that they've got frizzy bits of hair with colours in and glasses and silly outfits, and it's just a bit. It is. Much. We've got. Um, have you ever seen Key and Peel? Because. Uh, I haven't, no. No, because it's key from that, because obviously uh, Peel went on to yeah. like direct Get Out and us. Yeah. Yeah, and this is him just doing an impression of a fat nerd with dreadlocks. Yeah, it's it's comic book guy from The Simpsons, and that's not relevant anymore. It's not, The only no. reason comic book guy is in The Simpsons still is because he's an original character from when it started. Yeah, so in 1990, yeah, you'll be fine, but... Now, if you like, say, "Oh yeah, I'm really into Star Wars," it's like your mother saying, "Yeah, we're like Coronation Street." It's like, yeah, well, so does millions and millions and millions of other people do. Yeah, and and, and it was like they're both very middle aged. Mm. Whereas if you go into a geeky shop these days, you know it's people younger than us. Yeah, that are usually manning it. But anyway, yeah, it just annoyed me that it was a very. It's because stere- we're so old now, Tim. We're yeah. very old. It was a very stereotypical view that's not relevant anymore. I've I've left university ten years now. Yeah, same mate, same. And how's that going for you? Well, you know, I may have not accomplished my dreams. I might not have got anywhere. I still live with my mum. But I had a tweet that almost went viral once, so that was all right. <laughs> I had nine great years of living on my own in New York, and now I'm back in my parents' old house. <laughs> At least you got to live in York. I literally kicked them out. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's living the dream. Like, you mean I was kicking your parents out of the house? <laughs> Not the other way around. Have them live in the basement instead. Yeah, but now I have every, four times a day that they're banging on the window saying, Tim, Tim, well, I did let change, me in. Did, well, yeah, at least you change your locks. That's a start. <laughs> um, one thing I've noticed, I noticed in this scene, and I'm sure you must have picked this one up, but when she hands over a badge, do you notice the name of the magazine? Um, beneath her. No, it's not a magazine, it's a vinyl. It's the soundtrack to the Black Hole. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I saw it was Black Hole, I thought. Hey, oh. Podcastception. Yes. Um, episode f- three, I think, episode three. Listen yeah, I think now. it was, yeah. iTunes, subscribe. Yeah. Five stars on iTunes, please. So the, the owners are really getting into sort of grilling Casey on where yeah. she got this badge from. Uh, uh, the dialogue might as well be trap, 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 trap. Yeah, which Casey picks up on. Um, and then they it very becomes clear that these two are basically robots. Mm. And they point guns at Casey. Toy guns. Yes, but they go with a hell of a bang, don't they, yeah. the toy guns? Real toy guns. Um, someone on IMDb said that one of the guns looks like the lasers that you use on Buzz Lightyear's Space Ra- uh, Ranger Spin. Uh, Which I didn't agree with. They're quite different. No, I think they're more designed like the... can't remember the name of it now. There's like the famous toys from the 1950s, like the Zap gun sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, it looked more like that than yeah. the Buzz Lightyear I one, think I that was, that was the design. I don't think we're referencing Toy Story here. Yeah, so they basically uh, they lock her in, hold her captive. There's a few gunshots go off. Yeah. Um, and then Athena smashes through a window, throws a time bomb at them so that they can escape. Um, and there's a bit more fighting. Athena pulls the head off one of the robots, which again I thought was pretty graphic. For uh... Not the most graphic one in the film, though, but we'll get no. to it very shortly, actually. And then they both get out, and then the whole building explodes. Yeah. Because, of course, it does. Because because movies. Mm. Well, it felt like they needed to have a bit of action, because we are 40 minutes in. Yeah. 
And, and it is the actually, first. Yeah, and actually nothing's happened yet. Yeah, so fair enough. Um, then Athena hot wires a car and they drive off. Mm. In your opinion, are we still with a backstory? Um, I guess so. Because they didn't never we've establish to... when it ends, do they? Yeah, I would assume that the intro video with George Clooney and Casey talking, yeah. that must be occurring... By but, the at the end of the film, that occurs at the end of the so film. So I would assume that basically the whole film is the backstory. backstory. God, it makes sense now for, because, a, for a second film because yeah. they were expecting a second film. Exactly. Yeah. Um, not yeah. happening, lads. Not happening. Not happening at all. Um, yeah. So Athena explains that um, basically these two owners of the shop were audio animatronics or AAs as she calls them Mm. and again as I've mentioned earlier in the episode audio animatronics is literally what Walt Disney called his robots in the park so that's another sort of theme park callback okay so if you if you're a fan of theme parks there's more to enjoy of this film just from the little nods and winks and references but it doesn't make the film good it's a very specific niche for a 200 million pound film though isn't it well, it is, but a lot of people have been to Disney, to be fair. But yeah, there's not many people that are that yeah. bothered. Yeah, but I say people go to Disneyland, so... People are you not... Know, if they're not on like your level of nerd about yeah. it, you know, <laughs> they're there to kick Mickey Mouse in the balls, that's it. <laughs> yeah, and then um, Athena starts speaking in tongues, essentially, because mm. um, her translator's broken, because plot twist, she's a robot as well. Yeah, everyone's a robot. And it's kind of like, oh... Right, fine. Mm. Wasn't a big shock. Not really. Um, Casey gets spooked by it and escapes. Then Athena gets hit by a truck. Then Casey steals the truck. Yep. Then Athena runs super fast and jumps in the back of the truck. Did this? Did that chasing just rip off Terminator? Well, to be honest, Chris, I wouldn't know because I've never seen Terminator. I've never seen a Terminator film. Oh, fair enough. Because my parents do not like films in in pretty much any way. I've missed out on. Every 80s classic, basically. You know what? I never saw hardly any of them when I was younger either. This is why when the fourth Indiana Jones film came out in 2008 and people absolutely shot in it, yeah. I thought, oh, actually, it was pretty decent because I've, I had no emotional attachment to any of those films. Fair enough. Yeah, I think we've mentioned that on another episode. Yeah, I'm we? sure yeah. we have. It's like I've, I didn't see Back to the Future until 2011. Yeah, I only saw it in the last few years, and I'm yeah. not keen on it. I, uh, there's yeah. something about 80s aesthetic in general that turns me off quite a lot. I think the trend is sort of ending now, but that whole 80s retro fetishism thing that was here there a few years ago could get me bent. Yeah. I, I think it's because Muse have just done an album around all the 80s. Now people think it's not cool anymore. Yeah, because so, so, everyone uh, judges um, trends on what Muse are doing, Chris. No, I, I'm just saying because the new album isn't that good, but I'm just saying it <laughs> did some good because people aren't that fucked about 80s anymore. Are Muse popular at all anymore? Because they've, they've... They, they still do. They're on a stadium tour right now. Have, are they on radio? Do they get radio play anymore? I think the radio two now. Yeah, because I was going to say even Radio One was still playing until. Fairly recently. Uh, they stopped two albums ago, Radio One did, playing them. Right. But, um, like, music used, used to be, like, my favourite band in the whole world, but even I now admit they had three really good albums <laughs> in the 2000s, and then after that, it's just... Pfft. Yeah. Fair they've, enough. They've had, like, four albums that could take, could give, most, uh, give or take most of the tracks. 
Are you as warm as I am in here at the minute? Slightly, yes. It's bloody mafting, isn't it? It is, yes. It's gonna it's gonna compromise the audio, but I think we need to open the door. Okay. This room gets so warm. Well, are you gonna have like Daisy invading? That'd be a good thing. Probably. Um, I must say my hands did flare up a bit. It's because I've got really crappy hands anyway. It's not Daisy's fault. Do you want another drink of anything? Oh, yes, please. What would you like? Um, something cool. I don't think I'll go for coffee. Lemonade again? Yes, please. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Are you, are you ready to this bit out? Well, it depends if you do anything interesting. Oh, okay. Let's see. Uh, oh, God, I'm not good at improvising. Hello, and welcome to the Rescue Podcast. <laughs> no, I don't think you'd go for that, would you, Tim? Maybe if I was just like reading the notes on here, we could get this podcast over done with sooner so we can talk about something better. So, a fiend of a six-year-old is driving. She gave Casey the pin. 60 seconds to self-destruct. Casey decides to run away. Athena gets the fuck knocked over. But she's fine. Whatever. Fills some time up, doesn't it? As Casey nicks the pickup truck and runs away. And now a Terminator-style chasing just to fill up time. And then we have this bloke called Dave Clark, who resembles Cristiano Ronaldo with scarier teeth. He appears at the uh, Blasting the Past shop. Some bollocks in the car. Athena gave Casey the last ever badge. She's on a recruitment drive. I think this is the end of a backstory, so... 49 minutes in. Athena shuts down for reasons I forget now. As it turns out, she did it for a joke. Casey with a heartfelt phone call to her dad she doesn't really give a shit about and we don't ever see again. Her call makes it sound like she's joined a hippie commune. Okay, I'm back. Okay. Um, there wasn't any lemonade, so you've got either orange squash or a non-alcoholic beer. I'll go for orange squash, please. Yeah, I thought you might. Yeah. I just don't like beer in general. I was just reading my notes for Baton. Sounded good, sounded good. Yeah. I'm enjo- I'm going to enjoy listening to that whilst I'm editing later. Yeah, I reckon I should like do like narration for BBC. I think they'll enjoy my northern mumbling style. I was going to say, I know that they're looking to broaden their uh, regional accents, but they might be taking it a bit far with Grimsby. They always say that though, don't they? They still hire everyone from fucking Cambridge. Yeah. Twats. Turning down my scripts when I was 23. Who do you think you are? I'm a fucking genius. Oh, non-alcoholic beer tastes worse when you have it straight after a real one. I wouldn't know. Although I did accidentally have a... Uh, one great big gulp of Bucks Fizz the other week when I was Ooh, at, blimey. Uh, when I was at the Viking FM bloody superhero awards, which is a thing that exists. Did you like it? No, it's fucking horrible. I, I knew right away it had alcohol in it. I was like, there, because obviously I've, I've basically been. Well, I say straight edge. I'm not allowed to be straight edge apparently. We've already had this discussion on the podcast before. I know that for yeah. a fact. Yes. If people want to know about Chris's uh, teenage years. They were, spoiler, they were boring. <laughs> I didn't do anything. Didn't bleach my hair out. I had all. long hair. Oh yeah, I had long hair during college, if you remember. Yeah. For about 18 months. I looked awful. Mine mine grew down, yours just grew out. It did, yeah. <laughs> From Kelly, yeah. yeah. I think it looked the right state, because in those two years at college, if I remember rightly, I only ever wore two sets of clothes. Bear in yeah. mind if there wasn't any uniform there. I had the long, scraggly hair. I didn't shave for the first time until three days before I went to university. So I had this massive, really weird going moustache. I was mostly blonde for two years as well. No wonder I didn't have any friends at college. (laughs) Apart from you, obviously. Apart from me. Yeah. I was able to look past all of that, Chris. Yeah. Just like you look past my ridiculously long hair. It was nice hair. Luscious. luscious. It it, it was luscious. I was jealous. I only grew it out because I thought I wanted to be like Tim and just never happened. Me and Kirsty broke up um, for 
about three years actually when when I'd moved to York, and uh, this is when I still had long hair. And I just looked at myself in the mirror one morning and was like, if I ever want to get laid again, this has to go. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. Mm. An end of anecdote. Um, Tomorrowland, then. Yeah. Right, so, yeah. Next morning, Afina wakes up. Well, Casey I... driving after being awake for 625 hours. I just wanted to um, mention a little bit of how terrible the exposition dialogue is in this yep. section. Um, and I've actually written some verbatim quotes. And this is, a, this is basically Athena explains to Casey that the pin that she gave to Casey was the very last one. And then Casey says, what do you mean your last pin? You mean that place exists for real? And those two lines... Don't go together. Jump into conclusions. Yeah. Like, literally jump in dimensions. Literally. To get to those conclusions. And it was a little microcosm of this whole film, in my thoughts, was that nothing's working together. Nothing's going... Nothing's gelling. It's not. The... I mean, I mentioned this at the beginning. It's a very rare example of a very expensive film where the script, it's going nowhere... And it feels like they've been through this draft like 20 times. It's just a sense of, oh, yeah, that'll do. Fuck it. It's just so incompetent in many ways. It is. It's it's a film that more than very many films exemplifies that it's been made, it's a film made by committee and not for any artistic merit at all. Mm. Literally, someone had the idea of let's start a theme park universe that we can put into film. And every decision from this first film was corporate. Which is very funny because the director of this is Brad Bird, who yeah. who I know I know because he used to direct episodes of The Simpsons, but he also did... Did he do Whoop and The Incredibles? Um, he did The Incredibles. Also did The Iron Giant, yeah. which is a brilliant sci-fi film. Yeah, he's done brilliant work and it's really funny to say about he's done like basically a soulless committee sort of film. He turned down for Force Awakens to direct this film. What? Yeah. Oh, Brad. Yeah, um, not your best decision ever. He, he was excited by the thought of doing a, an original property. Yeah. And in all fairness, if I was in his position, because <laughs> uh, I I always said to myself, if I was ever made it in Hollywood, no. You know, I'd, I've never liked sequels yeah. uh, and or remakes, anything like that. I, I always wanted to basically do... The Tarantino, basically, just original films. Yeah. You know, original ideas. Exclude Jackie Brown from that, right? It's an adaptation. But... And Kill Bill 2. That's a sequel. <laughs> it's the same film. He was forced to <laughs> yeah, cut it. Yeah. He was forced to... <laughs> But yeah, um, it, it's just a weird film where nothing gels. And bear in mind, we're about to get to the scene where Casey and Frank finally meet. And this is 55 minutes into 100 and... Yeah. Well, uh, excluding the end credits, it's about a two-hour film. Yeah. So then um, some audio animatronics turn up at Blast from the Past, um, disguised as Secret Service, and take over the investigation from the cops by literally exploding them. I basically said this while out of your room. Although I've got the exploding bit. I just said, Dave Clark is his name, appears. And he's very. There's no pretense that this is not a robot. Mm. Like he's he's not showing any 
Gums. humanity at all. <laughs> Gums, yeah, just <laughs> just some beautiful, beautiful teeth. Yeah. Very chiselled. And yeah, they just blow up the, uh, the cops. We cut back to Athena and Casey, who are now, as you say, driving to New York to meet Frank. And again, that's New York from Texas. I just... I actually went on Google Maps to find out. Is it in the thousands? Um, no, but to drive constantly, non-stop, from te- Texas to the closest part of New York State, because they never actually reference where whereabouts, it, whereabouts yeah, yeah. the shortest distance is a 28-hour drive. Yeah, if that makes sense. So, and obviously they're going to be stopping. So, yeah. basically, she's left home to find out what tomorrow, and it's taken her at least a week already mm. by the time she gets to frank's no she asks athena why her why why athena is bothering her and she says athena says what she said to frank earlier which is that she's special mm. which special. which we failed to see at any point in the film so let's go straight to frank's house so there's a bit where casey falls asleep and then next thing she knows she's been kicked out of the car athena drives away yeah casey approaches the house and Frank doesn't want to know anything. Um, and he manages to push her way through like a weird, weird air jet sort of yeah. kick up the ass sort of system. Mm-hmm. Sends her flying off, but probably because she's like literally thousands of miles away from home, she refuses to go. Yeah. Even though it starts steaming it down with rain, she's like sat there on yeah. the porch waiting for him to appear. And she basically, to get inside, she sets his like. Um, Tractor on fire. This is not normal behaviour. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, Frank. Well, how, how in your brain do you come to that conclusion? I know how I'll get in. I'll vandalise his property. If you're going to just break a window. Yeah, so then he goes outside and then she locks herself in so that he's on the outside. Um, oh, uh, he's on the outside looking in. Yeah. See right through you. See his true colours. Inside is ugly. Ugly, ugly like, like me. me. <laughs> yeah. I can see through you. <laughs> <laughs> I think, oh, he, he, who was that? Was that stained? That was stained. I think oh, I had that on CD single. There is still on Crank TV show the live version of like Fred Durst sat there in the background going, "Yeah, this is some real shit." Yeah, come on, motherfucker. Weirdly, a lot of the new metal seems to have disappeared off Kerrang! Oh, late. boo! I know. Like um, they'll they play a lot of pop punk and they play a little bit of emo, yeah. but most of the new metal has gone. I've not seen. Limp Biscuit. I've not seen. Um, it was like Corn, Linkin Park, Papa yeah, Roach, Stained. All of the all of the deep cuts. They definitely don't play anymore. <sighs> but yet they played Kings of Leon recently. Yeah. Bollocks. Trying to get more people to watch. To be fair, I'm saying this, and I haven't watched for about a year. Yeah. <laughs> I've said before we don't just don't watch telly. Well, why would you know? It's there's so much other good stuff going on. Yeah, we get we get plenty of uh, a sequence of Casey just dicking about in Frank's house essentially. Yeah. Before he uh, sneaks back in, um, and she finds the room full of monitors, which is the room from the opening scene with Clooney. Yeah. And she's asking him, "Why did you leave Tomorrowland?" And he says that he got kicked out. A note that I made at this point: Did nothing important happen to Frank between the ages of ten and Clooney? Because we never, no, we only see him as child or George. Yeah, well, we're led to believe he got kicked out at like the age of ten, did he? Well, no, we see later on that he was kicked out about the age of thirty. Yeah, but they don't show that. But yeah, they show all this stuff of him as a kid at the beginning, which doesn't really have much relevance. Yeah, I think they just wanted to 
pay less actors, really. And just had rather than having a kid and a teenager and a twenty year old and a Frank. I think it's the opposite actually. They probably didn't want to pay for more a George Clooney to be on set for more days. Maybe. Because you can do the thing now where you just make yourself look younger through CGI. Yeah. There's all sorts of yeah, that's going on now, isn't there? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just Clooney was too expensive to do any scenes of him in his 30s. Yeah. In his so, ER phase. So, we've finally got... Them. Oh, that's what we should have done. We should have, like, spliced in episodes of ER in this phase. I just saw, like, out of Hugh Laurie or Greenscreen talk to George Clooney. Yes, Fr- Frank was uh, recruited into the Tomorrowland Hospital. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I, I might do that now. You know how I keep getting badges to do preview videos for Cinema Archery. I might do one for Without a Mouse, but just do ER, Splice with Tomorrowland. Please do. So, yeah. <laughs> and um, action. I can tell you now... That at this point, when uh, we finally got Casey and Frank together, we're an hour and six minutes into the film, and I know because that's when I stopped watching. So, I stopped at about the same time. Uh, I had to watch it in two sittings as well. At this point, I was actually okay with the film. I was quite... Again, it, I think it's because of where I stopped. The fact that we'd finally got George, uh, Frank and Casey together... My assumption was, yeah, this is where shit's going to get going and we're going to find stuff out and I'll find out things later on. And we don't. We just get more questions. I think I think first time I watched this, trying to think back three years, I watched it all in one go. And at this point, I was like, oh, finally. This time, I was like, ugh, okay. <laughs> but you knew what was coming. I, I, guess, I, yeah. I knew what was coming and it just all came rushing back. Was thinking, well, we don't actually get many answers from here because yeah. the bit where we inevitably get a big action scene in a minute, we need to mention one more thing before then. But after that action scene, the film just completely falls on its ass. Yeah, but um, before it falls on its ass, the um, the Secret Service automated doodars hey, arrive. We, now, have we mentioned the death clock yet? Oh yeah, Clooney's got a death clock. Hundred percent. Casey says something about hope, and it goes down to ninety nine point not nine 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 six. Yeah. So yeah, he's got a probability score that says that the world's definitely going to blow up, and he's got a countdown clock. And little thing that I noticed: the countdown clock that we see at the very beginning of the film, which is not happened yet, mm. had a longer time on it than the countdown clock that we see at this point. It does, yeah. Um, because at the beginning it had something like 60-something hours. It had about 65. 65 days, sorry. And then in this shot, we've got 59 days. Yeah. So it, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't, no, because so this, again, they're, they're splicing between the future vlog with George Clooney. Which should have a shorter time it should do, than yeah. now. So I think this film was heavily edited in post. It wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. In terms of structure and possibly even plot. It feels like it. It feels like this went to test audiences 28 times. Yeah. Um, but it was something that I'd noticed, which really did make me go, what? Hmm. But yeah, so to so, be fair, this fight with the audio animatronics, I thought was pretty cool. Um, It was like a sci-fi home alone. Yeah, so they're basically defending the house. Got all sorts of traps that are going off. But obviously, because Frank's an inventor, they're all a bit futuristic. So they're quite inventive. And I did think this was one of the more clever aspects of the film. I love the lasers. Took me, yeah. back, took me right back to 2001 Hover. You know, like this yeah, needle yeah. with a face slice and all that. And uh, what was the other film? 
Just all, all sorts of different laser slicing. I liked it. Yeah. Um, and to escape, they um, finally managed to basically hide in a in a escape pod bathtub. Yeah, and they eject into a river. And at this point, I made a note just saying, "What is this film? <laughs> what is life? Yeah, what what is going on?" So, <laughs> can you describe to me? Obviously, forgetting all the other details. So, what is the plot of the film? We, we, I, Try not to remember anything that happens after this point. Okay. From what you've seen so far, what is the plot? Where is it going? You know? The plot is... The A plot. A plot? Well, no. <laughs> is there a B plot? I'm gonna say, I was going to say the A plot is that the world's going to end. But considering the only thing we've, d- we've had is two shots of a clock, technically the world ending is the B plot. Yeah. The A plot is Casey wants to find out what Tomorrowland is. Even though they've not even said the name Tomorrowland. No, the words Tomorrowland are only spoken once in the whole film. Yes, apparently so. Um, and in a few minutes as well. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... <laughs> if for Just as a little... To keep people from, uh, from tuning out, I do have the actual description given by IMDb. Okay, I'm, I'm well excited uh, to hear yeah, it. Yeah, in the conclusion, which summarises what the whole film is about. In two sentences, I think we'll get it in. Okay. No, one. Yeah. Yeah, one sentence. They summarise this film succinctly. Go on then. Well, shall I do it now? Yeah, do it. Well, I'll say succinctly. It basically is everything that's wrong with this film being this. Bound by a shared destiny, a team bursting with scientific curiosity and a former boy genius inventor embark on a mission to unearth the secrets of a place somewhere in space and time that exists in their collective memory. It doesn't oh, mean God. a single word thing. That that's a very weighty sentence for nothing to be said. It's the vaguest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Like literally, what's Jaws about? Shark fucks up seaside resort. Yeah. The um What's this... Star Wars about? To go up a blow up a Death Star, you know. The um the description on Disney Life was something along the lines of um George Clooney and friends embark on an epic Disney adventure. And that was... I, <laughs> you can't get away with just saying epic Disney adventure to hide shit. Well, to be fair, it's the theme is sort of Disney because it's Tomorrowland, it's yeah. theme parks, it's animatronics. So I thought it was the more succinct and quite accurate. Is this like, is it like a description of Million Dollar Duck? A duck goes on an epic Disney adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> around the US Treasury. Herbie's like a Volkswagen Beetle goes on an epic <laughs> Disney adventure. <laughs> This next bit is a lot of dialogue. It goes nowhere, and this is their attempt because they realise the characters are very humorless and don't really have any character. Yeah. So they try all sorts of witty banter, shall we say, in the worst yeah. way possible. So there's some bollocks about dads on motorbikes and test scores and shutdown procedures not being actually for real. And My literal note for this scene was uh, just Athena and Frank Bicker. Yeah. I don't like any of these characters at this point. Even Case is grating on me a bit. Case is he, he's by far the least worst one. Yeah. But at this point, I'm like, I'm supposed to be going on an epic Disney adventure with you people. All right. During this sequence, the most important thing that we find out is that Athena managed to save 12 badges of the, the pins. <laughs> I thought you were going to say badges. 
<laughs> she would have had better luck saving badgers, to yeah. be fair. Yeah, she uh, she managed to save 12 pins before the rest were destroyed. So, and we've already heard that she gives the last one to Casey. So essentially, there are 11 other gifted children that are never mentioned again in the whole film. Isn't this for plots of Power Rangers? Isn't it coins that you have? It, it is. That go it, in it, the... it is for dino coins that go in the yeah. thing, and they yeah. can all join together to be one big dino bot. And then suddenly it's all Japanese footage, and it ends the same way every week. Because anyway. again, the dialogues feels like there's bits missing. So we we hear Athena saying that there's these twelve other pins out there, but she never says. She never confirms that you know. These other children didn't work out. She never says these children are in Tomorrowland already. Yeah. They're just never mentioned. She's just thr- she might have thrown them all in the bin for all we know. <laughs> it's placeholder dialogue. When I used to write scripts, whenever there's bits I know need to go in a script, but I don't know how to word it yet, I'll describe. I'll have a character say what they need to say, just like a basically yeah. a description. And then work it out later on how exactly to put it in a more human way. Yeah. Here they just left all the placeholder dialogue in there. Yeah. So then um, they get in a car for another road trip. They arrive at a science looking facility. Again, we never find out where this place is or what it is. Um, but they're... The they, etc. Yeah, they transport themselves by satellite, apparently. So they go on to this underground facility that nobody knows about put themselves in a washing machine, essentially, yeah. and then zap themselves to the top of the Eiffel Tower, where we get some uh, brand integration, where she has to have a bottle of Coke when she arrives. Yeah, why? Because because 90% of her blood sugars drop when she travels, apparently. Yeah, but the other two are, right? They, I mean, they, I know one's a robot. They put in a scientific explanation as to why she has to have a bottle of Coke in the next shot. Is is essentially what they do. We should have been dialogue. Said, "Is Pepsi okay? No, it's not okay." <laughs> I said to when people were asking me last year what my uh, New Year's resolution was going to be. I said that my New New Year's resolution was going to be to always ask for cola whenever I go to a pub. One thing I've always wanted to do is when someone's asked me, "Is Pepsi is that okay?" Just go. No, just like shake my head and walk away. <laughs> yeah, not even substitute for something else. Yeah, just leave. Just like, no. <laughs> oh, I'll have a glass of water then. Yeah, so um, yeah, they've they've now ended up in the Eiffel Tower from this uh, teleportation. Yeah, fuck it, why not? Um, which is where it links back to Small World because they he was scanned by the Eiffel Tower there. Yeah, and then this is just a scene that really just is unnecessary. It's bollocks, and it's just weighing down the plot. So, so why? Well, before just going ahead a bit, why couldn't the etc. just take him to Tomorrowland? I actually thought that's where they were going. Yeah, when they got in there. But yeah, they they arrive at the Eiffel Tower, as well as the 1964 World's Fair. The Eiffel Tower was a, built for a World's Fair. I can't remember which year in the 1800s. Uh, it was in the 1800s because yeah. I, I read a quite a book, good book um, called "The Devil in the White City," right. which is about the Chicago World's Fair. This was where the Ferris wheel was invented. All right. It was done as a response to the Eiffel Tower. Right. Because they wanted okay. to like have the world's greatest world's fair ever. Yeah. So the idea was to like build this Ferris wheel, but that whole like world's fair was just cursed from the 
Right. I'll, I'll lend you the book. If yeah, that sounds think. really interesting. Yeah, yeah. you have to dig it out. But um, there's a bullshit sort of secret society shit going on where apparently Edison, Tesla, Eiffel and Jules Verne had created a rocket that was... Illuminati. In, yeah, fucking... You know, Controlling the world. It's almost like um, uh, National Treasure. Yeah, it is. With its bullshit um, retelling of history. They sneak into a rocket that just basically blows up the Eiffel Tower. Splits the Eiffel Tower in two, which, you know, if you want to look at it in a very pornographic way, is such filth for Disney. Yeah. And, um, like a saw between its legs. And the, the note I put is that this is bullshit. Like, it would mean that the rocket had never been used and that Paris, people of Paris had never known about it and all of this shit. So how does George Clooney know that he can just... Doesn't Paris have a very complex sewer system? Yeah. <laughs> Caves and all sorts. Yeah. They'd have found out. Yeah. I, I know it's only a film, but like it just wound me uh, up. Yeah. Like I, like I said, I mean, there's a little bit, a bit more actiony stuff because more of these robots turn up. Um, and... They go, <laughs> they blast off in the rocket to space, but then as soon as they get there, they turn round again. Because um, they're not going to space, they're going to another dimension. Yeah. So then they... I think this is a bit, I was going to mention it earlier on, the more graphic death, we'll say death, the more graphic scene, which is where our original guy from the shop in Texas right. uh, gets the baseball bat around the head. Oh yeah, and about, his head gets caved about in. About 30 it? times, and it's just really, really grim for yeah. a Disney film. Yeah. Um. And yeah, they blast off, go around again. And they finally get to Tomorrowland. But yeah, this whole section could have been cut out. It could have been. One more thing I'm going to say. So when the rocket launches off and other people are there watching it, and there's like a, a Men in Black style blast so everyone forgets about it, I assume. <laughs> now, they put really happy, optimistic, upbeat music over it. Yeah. But if you change the music... You can make it look like that we're about to drop a nuclear warhead or somewhere. Yeah, you could use the you know War of the World style doom and gloom kind of shit because it's yeah for the people of Paris this would have been horrifying. Yeah, it would have been fuck. Yeah, the world is about to end. Yeah. So anyway, so we finally get to Tomorrowland. Yeah, and an our, hour twenty three in by the way. Yeah, we finally get to Tomorrowland. And I wish we hadn't when we finally get there, because basically it's it's gone to shit. It's a, it's it's suggested that it's a dystopia now rather than a utopia because yeah. everything looks grotty. There's nobody there. Yeah, it's like a weekend in Cleethorpes. Oh my god, it is. Yeah, it's the sea. It's the British seaside version of Tomorrowland. <laughs> um, I put that it looked like a shitty Gatwick. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, the only things I left out of the uh, Jamie's of Italian restaurants. <laughs> That's it. But yeah, then uh, Frank gives Athena a bomb, which rather than putting in her pocket, she puts inside her chest, as mm. robots like to do. Oh yeah, just reminding everyone she's a robot. Then Hugh Laurie turns up as well, and it turns out that Hugh Laurie is like the leader of the place called General Nix. See. I think they want to go for this twist slightly later on, like, oh, he's evil. Problem is, he's dressed like a fascist from the get-go. Um, earlier in the film, there are 
multiple references to General Nix, and Casey especially keeps asking, who is General Nix? Mm. We finally meet General Nix, and Frank calls him David the whole time. Yeah. So, I only knew from looking at IMDb and making assumptions that this is General Nix, but is. nobody ever fucking calls him it when... When we spent the whole film asking who is General Nix. Well, it's a bit like how they spent all of Frank's flashback calling him John. Calling who John? Frank was called John because his name's John Francis Black, I think his name is. Oh, I didn't even pick up yeah, on that. Yeah, and uh, so they spent that whole first film. Yeah, John Francis Walker. And they spent that first bit calling him John. Or John <sighs> Francis, I mean, suddenly it's called Frank, so that's not the first inconsistency. That's just unnecessary, isn't it? It is, yeah, it's not very well thought out. Um, so, yeah, General Nix turns up, uh, but we'll call him David since everybody else does. Um, and Frank basically tells him that Casey can fix the world. And I said, why? How? Um, Athena and Frank barely know her. Casey doesn't know what she's going to do to yep. save the world. She's not shown any sign of being a. Ve- capable of and nobody's let her in on any kind of information that could how the we don't know how the world's going to end we don't know when literally the only thing she's done is say no maybe the world isn't going to end and then the death clock went down a bit but theoretically anyone could say that so her her superpower is being in denial yes that is all that we have going for her at the minute and and then they so Nix takes them on this raising platform going up a tower and they can see into the future a few seconds so they keep seeing themselves popping up thanks to Tachyons yeah so apparently there's some bullshit that's causing that that's to do with the tower and space and and time and and the Tachyons can uh, make things go two seconds into the future woohoo and then there's a big ball inside the tower which basically is the Tomorrowland version of VHS yes Um, and so you can look forward and back into the future and anywhere in the on the planet. So Casey looks and she witnesses a nuclear war in 58 days. And so basically the question is that is asked is why not let the people of Earth into Tomorrowland? Well, it's quite simple. It's because humans are savage and dumb and really, really gross. Which, which to be fair, is a good... Oh yeah, if yeah. I was in his position, I'd be like, fuck off, this yeah. is my home. But also, I don't understand why Tomorrowland has fallen into a dystopia. Like, it's shit anyway. They never actually say anything. The assumption is that David has kicked everyone out. But they don't actually say that. There's literally nobody there. So you reckon he's kicked everyone but himself out? Yes. Right. And his robot friends. And he wants to preserve Tomorrowland because it'll be perfect but there'll be nobody in it it's basically like asking the whole world to move into your house you see you could be right and that was the intention but it's so they never say it no they never say it they don't actually say why tomorrowland isn't like it it is now it would have made a much better film if they turned up to tomorrowland and it was still a utopia it was still a future place where people would want to be yeah so that then he could be defensive of it yeah but But it's already shit Yes, uh, you mean like maintain where, where everyone's already there doing yeah. stuff, yeah. But they're just ignorant to the end of the world happening elsewhere. Yeah, and also like at this point, we've had we've seen doomsday clocks, we've seen video footage of the world ending in Frank's house, we've seen countdowns, we've seen probabilities of the world ending, and when Casey sees it on the VHS that the world ends, 
she's so shocked and surprised and falling down hysterical, <laughs> and she's supposed to be this kid genius. It basically, I think I'm the screen for 100% on it. It basically said, days on top of the earth is fucked. I mean, come on. From the very beginning of this film, the literally the only one thing that I have been sure of is that the world was going to end. Yeah. And she's shocked at it an hour and 40 minutes into the film. <laughs> what an idiot. Yeah. So David decides to knock George Clooney out because, you know, they say there may be a chance to save it all. And they're all about to be deported. And Casey and Frank are talking afterwards, and we realise that Frank's... Uh, uh, and they're talking that um, David was bootlegging the frequency... Oh, no, sorry. Frank was bootlegging the frequency from Smallland, which is how he could see the images from yeah. his house on Earth. And they realise that it's actually broadcasting uh, a, f- a future that's convincing the world it's going to end. And as a result, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So the Tachyons are actually changing the future almost yes, by are. predicting. And because David's just, the one doing it. Yeah, so it's David's Swerve. fault. Whether or not he was intentionally doing it, it's... Because uh, again, we never establish if it was intentional or not. Because um, No, in all fairness, he gives a monologue afterwards. It is intentional. Uh, so fine. what he did, he sent these images of doom to try and scare the human population into doing something about yeah, it and yeah. preventing it. Yeah. But instead, he, as he says, humans embraced it, they turned it into TV shows, they turned it into films and computer games and all this lot. And uh, the, and his problem is that the future asks for humans to do something about their plight today, but they refuse to do so. Yeah, which, which is true. Um, I don't know. I think a, a lot of media that we get today that shows like a really bad future the intention of it is for us to actually act i don't think it's i don't think we've embraced it as much as it's been important to tell those sorts of stories it's a weird what he's basically trying to say is that if we all embraced sunshine and flowers instead everything would be all right but that's not actually true no it's this film is the plot at this point it's so complicated, I wanted to shoot myself in the face. Yeah. It was so... Now that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, it is. Um, it was so convoluted. It it clearly takes itself way more seriously than it should be doing. Mm. It thinks it's way cleverer than it is. It's not um, at all. Yeah, it's got this definite air of self-importance about it. And obviously... I want to almost admire a couple of things it's trying to do, but it's just so up its own ass. Yeah, but we get, obviously, our final fight, which sort of happens. It's it's not very good. And it's very short. It's very short. Yeah, but, I I think the, the standout action sequence from the whole film is definitely at Frank's house. Yeah. Um, and this one just feels like a... It's just wet and rubbish. Yeah, and they, they try and spice things up by having the transporter take Frank and David to a beach bit at one point, then they throw yeah. a bomb onto the beach and they both escape in the nick of time. But in the end, the Stargate-type thing lands on David's legs. He's been crushed. Yeah, so David's out of the action now. Oh, and is then, he? Well, we finally get um, Clooney has to jetpack out of the way... With Athena, who's... No, well, so I say, oh, is he? Because in his last act, he tries to shoot 
uh, Frank. Oh, that's and, it. And because you, yeah. because you can see two seconds into the future, Athena sees it two seconds beforehand and jumps in front of Frank and sacrifices herself. Yeah, so Frank flies off uh, with her. Um, and obviously, as we've said before, she's got a bomb inside her chest. Yeah. Um, and so before dropping her to blow up the tower... Which looks like a giant electric microphone, by the way. Yeah, it does. Um, but we have this really awkward love scene between a preteen robot and George Clooney. I've... I have written here. It, I think it avoids being noncy. Yeah, just. But it it flies are... very quickly. Yeah. But I think they've managed to get enough distance. Yeah. Between Frank, ten years old, and Frank, God knows how old Clooney is. Yeah. Maybe that's why you never see him aging, so that you don't technically put the two and two together. But yeah. I mean, that's the thing. If he gets kicked out at thirty and is pining over Athena. Yeah. Then it gets a bit Yeah, it's ugh. it's it's a one side it's definitely a one sided love. So Athena was in love with well no, because Frank Frank fancied her, clearly. Yeah. They both when they were both kids, they both fancied each other. Athena have finally admits it, even though she's a robot. It's finally the right word. <laughs> Because they don't really build up to it. Finally for Frank. Like, yeah. he would probably have liked to have known when he was a kid. Yeah. But yeah, so he drops her. There's a big explosion. And Frank says, now what? And I put, fucked if I know. <laughs> <laughs> They've got to get Tomorrowland back in business. I honestly, I honestly think the film would have been a lot funnier if he just said, now what? And then the credits rolled. <laughs> <laughs> that was just it, yeah. But then, like, final ten minutes or so... Turns out the vlog at the beginning of the film was one giant recruitment video. Yep. They're recruiting people and what they're looking for. They're looking so for basically, ju- the film starts now. Yes. <laughs> two hours, ten into a two hour and twenty minute film. They're, so looking, they're looking for dreamers, which is quite funny because I was asleep at this point. So again, Casey, by the end of the film, hasn't really done anything. She's No. This she is... is <laughs> Sorry, I can't get my words out she, Literally, the only thing she does for this film is she comes to the conclusion that the footage of apocalyptic scenes has been manipulated by the Techions. Yeah. She has literally added nothing. She's very like if, Kurt Russell in The Computer War Tennis Shoes. She's yeah. very like the guy from Gus in that the plot is pulling them along. Yeah. They're not active in the story at all. I'd argue Frank's basically the same as well. Yeah. Could... He drops a bomb at the end, but I think it's more Athena managed to get these two people together. She's the one that's driving whatever plot there is here, but yeah, this, this is just a weird, weird film. Yeah, um, and then finally I just wanted to say that um, we get an end credits, which obviously we don't get very often on the podcast, because um, we've seen a lot of older films. It was basically showing Tomorrowland's development through time. Yeah. So it starts with a very sort of a real 50s style retro futurism and then works forward and and it's almost like cartoony sort of drawing and it was more visually exciting than the whole film yeah i agree even the dynamic sort of swooping camera as it was going through the uh, the actual city was more interesting than the camera angles used in the film but yeah that was it end of film film yeah Final thoughts. You've seen it twice, so you, yeah. go, you go first. I've written a big paragraph about it and everything. I thought yeah, I haven't written anything, so yeah. I'm going off I, the cuff I, for a change. I actually remember the conclusion. I mean, this is a weird disaster of a film. I'm, 
Now, I've never seen anything so high budgeted because I think it is like legitimately $200, $250 million yeah, film. Yeah, they dropped a lot of dollar on this. They did, and for a Disney film as well, I can't believe actually four went a plot. And, you know, sometimes films don't need that tight narrative structure. But, but you need to be able to describe what it's about. I mean, even you think about something that utterly shits like Transformers, I'll, you know, like those films, at least you can go from action scene to action scene and there's some cohesion there. Yeah. One thing follows on from another, whereas this, it's just, it doesn't even start, does it? There's just no momentum. No. I mean, as I said earlier on and took out half my conclusion from here, you can't actually describe what the film's about easy enough. No, you even know, at the end you can't. You know, I, I think about even like the densest film I can think of, and that'd be, I don't know, something like Inland Empire from by David Lynch, which is like this three-hour in, incoherent, structureless piece. But even then you can like say it's about, oh yeah, it's an actress who's so into her role because she's in the psychological thriller, that she's so enveloped in that role that she starts dreaming like it. Right. And goes through all these weird plots. Whereas here, it's just like... Well, I'll read this description one more time. Because it's like, bound by a shared destiny, is it? A team bursting with scientific curiosity and a former boy genius embark on a mission to unearth the secrets of a place somewhere in space and time that exists in their collective memory. There's no secrets. No. And it's not a collective memory either, because it's not anything to do no, with, that's true. with her yeah. memory. So when IMDb doesn't know how to describe your film, you're pretty fucked. Yeah. yeah. You are. I mean, and as I said earlier on, the script is a massive failure. It should... It, I mean, you said it. It feels like it's been re-edited again after the fact. Yeah. Which is why some of the, like, death clock things are out of order. Yeah. It could have done with bouncing back and forth a lot more. It could have done with lopping out a lot of George Kid Clooney's stuff or maybe having him a bit older. We don't yeah. really need to know Frank's backstory anyway. I don't think so, no. We could easily have done without it. Yeah, I reckon so. And I suppose the only reason they put it in was to strengthen the love aspect with Athena, but then the love aspect could have been cut out. Yeah. We don't need it to be in love with him. No, we didn't. And... The last thing I'd say is another rare thing for quite an expensive film as well. The acting isn't very good. George Clooney is clearly only well, he's only there for half of it. Clearly there for a paycheck. He's just thinking, well, I'll do what Iron Man did. Casey was okay. Athena, well, she didn't have much to work with because she was a robot. And yeah, like, the other thing, like, George Clooney's only there half time, but yet yeah, we're supposed to emote with him when Athena's dying, and it just doesn't work. There's nothing there. The whole film's just robotic. Yeah. As a whole, it's just a weird... Like I said, it wanted to build this bigger franchise, and it just failed, absolutely. Yeah. My biggest complaint with the whole film is the central conceit of Tomorrowland is so underutilised. Yeah. When you've got films which are essentially about a place... You f- you want to feel like you know that place yeah. quite well by the end of the film, um, and you know we've mentioned Pirates of the Caribbean today. Um, obviously, it's not it's about piracy in in general, but the places are very concrete. Like, have you have you seen Pirates of the Caribbean films recently, especially the first N- one? Not recently. But the the lo- even though the film's not about 
a place as such. Like the locations, the you know Tortuga, Port Royal, they have a, a life to them. Yeah, you, I was you, saying, you, it's lived in. It's thematically strong, definitely. Yeah. Whereas in this, Tomorrowland is just a postcard. It we only ever see it as a place that never existed. Mm. Apart from one shot where it's barren and we never go anywhere, we never see anyone. Yeah. Do you know what this feels like? It feels like if it did the Wizard of Oz, but the final scene was her being swept up in that tornado and suddenly she lands in Oz. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, without the journey. Yeah, we're That's without it. the journey. Exactly. There is no journey, is yeah. there? We And the journey we have is around the US of A in a car over <laughs> the span of at least a week. Yeah, hopefully a week. So, it, and again, I do think it was intentional because in a sequel we were supposed to learn more about Tomorrowland or even go there but yeah. it should have been in this film yeah but definitely we don't we don't know anyone we don't know anyone this is what I don't like about modern franchise filmmaking is that they always seem to be making the next film rather than the film they're making exactly put everything you've got into that film and then think of what to do afterwards next yeah, that was my biggest complaint for the most recent um, Jurassic World. Mm. Was it Fallen Kingdom that's just come out? I, I didn't bother with that one. It was awful. Well, it, Jurassic World I, was shit. I know. No, I really, I really like Jurassic World, but I honestly think Jurassic, uh, the second one, felt like it was building to the third film. You're not planning on seeing no, them, not at all. Well, basically, the end of the second one ends with dinosaurs are out in the wild, in the world. Mm. So it's setting up for basically a bit like The Lost World, where mm. they had T-Rex in so, America. So it's like the end of the second Jurassic Park film, where where it's roaming around yeah. the town, except this time we don't capture it. Yeah, the whole point of the film is just getting from a place where there's dinosaurs in the park to there's dinosaurs in the world, mm. and they don't put a plot in it, mm. pretty much. It's really... I I really disliked it, but it, yeah, it's very similar to that. And uh, as we've said already, it's it's not a film in its own right. It's a prologue. Mm. It's a two-hour prologue, which could have been a lot shorter. And to a fra- to a franchise that I I wouldn't care about anyway. Like it's not making me want to see a second film. No, I know at the time a lot of people, as you've just said now, weren't keen on the female actors so Casey and Athena got a bad rap at the time but I'm with you in that I think it's actually George that's probably the worst yeah because he's just not bothered and I can understand why like yeah yeah um, he was probably excited by a prospect but when he saw a script he thought oh god yeah. and I think there's I think the the female cast actually works quite well because Casey's supposed to be a wide-eyed optimist and I think she does a very good mm. job of that and uh, as you said, like Athena is is a robot, so yeah. you've got what you've got. I, yeah, I think they, they weren't. Neither of them were given enough. Yeah, I I didn't mind the acting, but they were really struggling with what they had. Um, yeah, that's, that's Tomorrowland. Yep, we got through it eventually. I think Tomorrowland in general to do Disney's Tomorrowlands are just cursed in every way. Oh well. Oh well. So we we need some numbers. We need gems. Um, I'll go first. Okay. It's a weird number. I'm gonna go with a four. Okay. Because there's a lot of it wrong with it, but there's been far worse films, and there will be far worse films that we review. Yeah. 
it just feels like it's a disappointment is what it is. It's a massive failure in what it was trying to set out to achieve. Yeah. And I think, I don't know what their intentions are, but they clearly didn't meet them. Simple as that. I think as well, this is a real example, this film, of everything that people are critical of um, Disney's CEO, Bob Iger. Hmm. Because what he tends to get criticised for is the reliance on remaking classics at the moment. So we've got our Beauty and the Beasts and Aladdin and Lion King and all that shit. Yeah. Um, and he's not—he's never been a risk taker. He's—he's—he'll he funnels all of Disney's money at projects that he knows will do well. Mm. And it's the few times that he's done unique projects that he's failed. But at the same time, the more original projects have been committee led, whereas his previous um, CEO Michael Eisner, who saw in the Disney Renaissance. He was all about the creatives. Yeah. So it was, you know, giving the studio what they needed to tell their story. And it's that's not happened in this. No, so not. And then I think it's films like this that then Bob Iger goes away and says, well, I've tr- tried to make a, a unique new IP. It's failed. So I'll go back and make a CGI Lion King mm. to make some more money. And it's it's not a good time for Disney's films at all no it doesn't feel like it no but anyway my number is six gems okay and honestly i was going for five but the um the little nods and winks to um theme park culture in general and disney uh theme parks just gave it that extra extra gem for me of course it did and to be honest i did really enjoy the first half of the film as i say because it was setting up questions that i thought i would get answered and it was unfortunately the second half that then didn't answer them Mm. so there yeah well there you go after a nice extra long episode for Uh, an extra long film as well yes as we were saying it's bloody typical isn't it that the one time where we've actually got a film that's longer than an hour and 30 which we've always said we wanted yeah they've squandered that extra 30 minutes It, it should have been an hour and 30 this one and we, we've already said ways that we could have split it down. We'll have to make our own cut of it. Yes. Put it on YouTube. Oh, there's an idea. Yeah. I'll, I'll do. I need an excuse to do a video editing project. There you go. So, shall we say what's up next, then? Yeah, so that was my pick, and I'm very sorry. This is getting you back for the million dollar duck, I think. So, a bit um, unjustified. <laughs> Bloody hell. So, what, what are you picking next, Chris? For my next film, I'm going to pick the film I was going to pick before The Island at the Top of the World appeared, <laughs> and it is Heavyweights. Oh, what a shock. Which, yeah, which uh, stars Ben Stiller and a bunch of fat kids. And was either written or directed by Judd Apatow, I think? It directed. Directed, so yes. I'm quite excited by that. Ben Stiller and Apatow, I've never seen them together, so... Yeah, but there you go then. So we'll come back refreshed and uh, reinvigorated. Hopefully in a happy mood next time. Are we going to give us social media handles before you press the stop one? No. Okay. Bye. Bye. Without a Mouse is part of the We Made This Podcast Network. Logo by Chris House. Theme tune by Ether Orr.